His parliament's on fire and his hands are up on the balcony. I'm singing, ooh, baby, ooh, baby, I'm in love. <laughs> well, I think we all recognize that hit from, <laughs> from my version of it. That, of course, is a gal who saps the strength out of any workout, Lana Del Rey. And if it's what I scrawled in my journal documenting an amazing Easter weekend with my great-uncle Chet, then this must be Dale Radio. And I, of course, am your host, Dale Seaver, and you're listening to another episode of Some Things I Enjoy, coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanish, at least in spirit today, ladies and gentlemen. Probably lots of you miss the old days spent down by the canal, but good news, it's warmer weather uh, around there, and it's almost uncongealed. <laughs> from its winter state. Join me someday in May uh, for my annual Superfund Stroll, and you can sponsor every breath that I take as I jog across the Union Street Bridge. All the money will go to uh, kid dancers and marijuana users of the former Gowanus Grove, who are now sadly displaced by the Lightstone Group's condo development there on Bond. But that's progress, folks. That's progress. Today, uh, it finds me in Williamsburg, and it's always fun to come up here, isn't it? And you can see the end result of gentrification. This is where it's all heading, folks. We're one last stop away from being just a Brooklyn-themed resort, which I look forward to, because probably a lot of good smoked meats and artisanal <laughs> oils and things for body and mind. And we're uh, here today in the lovely home of New York City photographer, and uh, I, there's probably lots of other descriptions, but we're just going to get into it. Mm -hmm. She's so fantastic, and I'm pleased to be here. Uh, thank you for allowing me into your home, Mindy Tucker. Mindy. Oh, good evening, Dale. Good evening. <laughs> oh, it's nice to be here. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to come on up. Oh, yeah. What do you got, a latte? Uh, I do. I, well, I got a big cup of coffee from Starbucks. That's mm -hmm. the leader. Mm-hmm. In, in, <laughs> in coffee provisions, aren't they? They're doing good work. And uh, I got it. It was a tough day today at the office, a little bit. A little bit. Yep, a little well, bit of a tough day. We'll brush it off. Mm -hmm. I don't care for an open concept myself. This is just me talking. Mm -hmm. I like a door. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the situation is over there, but I like to be able to just close the door and quietly snooze. <laughs> Drink a little sometimes. Some early Fridays. What's that smell? It smells like whiskey. Oh, that's Dale. <laughs> it's nice to be able to drink at the office. You ever do that? Uh, not that I would. You wouldn't admit. say on the radio. <laughs> a bit of a trap, mm -hmm. wasn't it? That question. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you work in some kind of creative capacity with your uh, photography. I do. I do. <laughs> uh, you don't want to say where it is, but it's a, a, a place where you are, what, editing uh, photos? Editing photos. Mm -hmm. That sounds thrilling. It, it, yeah. I it, listen to a lot of podcasts. Oh, well. So I'll probably listen to this. Oh. Right? Be kind uh, of meta. I, it's definitely. <laughs> it's got right, it got right meta for me. Now, uh, we met not too long ago. It's been a couple of months, but at the fabulous New York City Podfest. Yeah. That was just, uh, things got a little late, I'll be honest with you. That and, was um, so fun. Oh, good. That was so fun. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was my best best show, but it was. Oh, uh, you think? It was fun. It was great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for the guests that were there, but I can sometimes feel... You know, I'm somebody who's very attuned to the audience. Mm -hmm. And I knew that we had already been pushed back 40 minutes, close to an hour, thanks to Eddie Pepitone. Mm. Probably a lot of people had come out of Eddie. 
Might the be, Buddha himself. <laughs> might be pushed back a little bit. But they asked for an encore in the middle of his set, so mm. <laughs> that happened. But anyhow, you thought you had a good time. I had a wonderful time, but also that was really great because uh, that was I'd been shooting both days of the festival. So your show was the last show, and then we all hung out afterwards. That's and right. I'm, I'm never happier than when the work is done. Do you know what I mean? I do. Then it's like, yes, let us now have drinks, right? And it's, that's, the, <laughs> that's, that's the best. That's well, my favorite. We were so late I was drinking beforehand, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do like finishing things. And in fact, your laughter kept me going. It was what I was, it was fueling me up there. And then I found you were snapping pictures because mm-hmm. I don't always see so well when I'm up there. I'm really in the zone and, and focused on things I didn't know. And then you can't, you approach the table, which is always a, a, sh- a shock when a lady comes up. But then you were taking uh, pictures and you're, you, just your voice is what I heard. Now, I didn't know you. I didn't know anything about you. Mm-hmm. And I heard this voice and I thought, well, that is a very good technique to get people to, it's a very like sweet uh, what do you say, honey dripping? What's, mm-hmm. the, what's the word for it? Kind of a draw. Uh, a little bit of a draw, A little yeah. bit of a southern draw. And I thought, well, that she's putting this on to get people. Not a native New Yorker. <laughs> As they would say, <laughs> to corral us. And I thought, well, my goodness, anybody who talks to me in that voice, I'd, I'd do anything for. <laughs> and then you just kept going. I thought, well, my gosh, that's, that's your voice. Well, the, you know, the accent is... Um, is really it gets really bad if um, if I'm tired or angry or have had one sip of a beverage. Ah, well. Yeah. I hope it wasn't anger. Yeah. But no, the other thing. I may was. Have been. I was. Yeah. I was <laughs> tired by that point. I think I was like, "Hey, hey." <laughs> Yeah, was, if was, you if you hear me say y'all move over, then I'm either very drunk or very tired or very mad at a guy. So you should be nice. <laughs> right. Get to it or, or get out yeah, of the way. Yeah, if it's if it's that strong, then something something's brewing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and then of course I put it together that you were the Mindy Tucker, and I told you there then, and I've posted it uh, online. I probably mentioned on this podcast, but I'll tell you to you in person that it just meant the world for me to have my photo taken by you. And because it's, it, it's, a, it's a meaningful moment, I think, in anybody that's involved in comedy in New York City, maybe comedy in, in the U.S., to have a, a document by you. It's, a, it's really an important step. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Dale. It's, thank it's, you. It's wonderful. And, and also, it's a great photo, and I use it everywhere, just like we all do. Oh, thank you. We get you. photos taken by you, and that's the one that becomes our uh, image for everything. Oh, I well, I think that one of you is so appropriate just because that wallpaper was just Beautiful. right for y- you. That's right. It's mm-hmm. one that if people don't don't know, it's I'm adjusting my tie, and there's a, a very, a, almost like a flocked wallpaper mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. behind me over there at Fontana's in the basement, in a Chinatown basement. <laughs> but it was a great also appropriate for yeah, you, Dale. Also appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to reconstruct the the photo, just the pose today at my desk, and I couldn't do it. It's just such a wonderful moment that you captured all angles, and that takes knowledge, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's great, and uh, and and forgive me. You've probably answered this a million times, but I want to start with something here. And that's uh, uh, when you started 
actually paying attention to this segment of culture and to documenting comedy. That was mm-hmm. six years ago, seven years ago, six? Um, I am actually right now trying to find the first set of pictures. We, th- I know I was doing it in 2007, but we think there's some from 2005. Oh, good. You have to adjust the timeline. Yeah. They're in this place right here? They're, he- they're here at the house, and um, it's been an emotional couple of weeks because um, during there, I had a little bit of a not-so-busy season. Like, I had a couple of days off. And before things get crazy, when the weather gets good again and we're working outside on portraits and stuff. And um, so a project I've been meaning to do for a long time is the early years are all backed up on CDs and not external hard drive. So there was like, there were over a hundred CDs that I had to load and then move over to an external hard drive and so I ended up looking at these pictures from like um 2005 and 6 because I didn't get a digital camera until 2006 isn't that crazy well it's better to wait the technology probably yeah yeah so um otherwise you would have had uh floppy zip drives (laughs) <laughs> so it's been connecting it's, scuzzy ports. It has. Been, <laughs> oh God! Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's so it's a, word, um, a word from the past for the young people. That was scuzzy. a kind of uh, cable. Yeah, a multi-pinned cable. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what I need for the zip drives? That the I've, zip drive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you've got a zip drive out there, Dale Radio listeners, my graduate school thesis is on one, and uh, <laughs> you got to get it out. All hundred yeah. megabytes of yeah. it is on there. <laughs> okay. So anyway. you find them, you moved them over. Uh, so two thousand five. Yeah. So it was. Um, it I, I kept uh, getting hung up on actually going through and looking at the pictures, and you know there were some pictures where I was like, oh, you know, Mindy these are actually really good. You you weren't kind enough to yourself at the time that you took these. This is actually some good work. Yep. And then there were others. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> that were just <laughs> so bad. So bad. And you could see like a really, uh, like a growth spurt basically of like uh, uh, things I was trying with lighting. And you could see, I could see like what I was trying to do and failing uh, just miserably, you know. But <laughs> we've we've takes. got we've got all that archived. You got to give yourself the freedom to fail at, with reservation headquarters. But, <laughs> whew, but nobody's going to see those painful, painful archive. Um, <laughs> what was going on for you in two thousand and five? Well, you know, when I started out as an artist, you know, what was drilled into me was, uh, and I think pretty much everyone that came up when I came up was, it was all about 20 slides. Everything was about 20 slides. We need uh, an artist statement that makes some kind of sense, and we need 20 slides, and they need to all look the same. Which is a trick question, because no artist statement ever makes sense. It's (laughs) It's impossible. I've always felt, I have always felt about artist statement, that if you need an artist statement, you haven't done your job. Sure. Um... Like, if I walk into an exhibition and there's more than, like, a paragraph talking to me about the exhibition, I'm like, most likely this maybe is not so good. Uh, Because it's visual art. 
And it should be if visceral, I, was, yeah. I think. You should have a response to it. Well, Regardless if, yeah. of understanding, it should connect with you on some level. Whether that's what they intended or not, to me, I don't, that's, a, that's fine. I'm a person experiencing the world. So if I walk into a gallery wherever I am in my mental state, emotional state, and I've been in many of those things, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be okay, whatever I, and some of it. And when it's great work, you respond. You just do. And when it's not so great work, no amount of wall text is going to save it. It's really not. It's really, and also if your concept is that convoluted, you know, maybe it, maybe it's a great concept, but maybe it should be something else if, if it needs that, that much text. Um, but anyway, I just say this cause I'm not a good writer. So <laughs> <clears throat> it's the equivalent of trying to get to the, the five minutes for comedy. It really is. It really is. So it was all, I have actually used that example before, which I really have. Yeah. yeah. But it was um, everything in undergrad and graduate school was all about, you know, you make this work. The purpose of the work is to turn it into 20 slides. The purpose of the 20 slides is to eventually get into a gallery. And, uh, and so everything was directed at some sort of other person that was going to come along and validate the work. And then you were an artist, and then I guess you went to a fancy party or something. I mean, I guess that was like the... And sometime in um, 2005, I was actually in a show. I always feel bad when I talk about this because the people were really nice to me. Yeah. So, like, no, nothing against like them. Like a commercial gallery? Yeah, but yeah. I was in a show, and I just didn't... I didn't think it was interesting. I didn't think... Um, I didn't think there was anything interesting about it. I didn't think it was a worthwhile thing to continue. Um, were, you, were, you in, sorry, didn't were you grouped into some kind of a concept? Or you? it was many different people just... Well, that's why I feel bad saying anything negative about the experience at all. Because it actually was a very flattering um, thing that happened. They found me in the flat files at Artist Space. Oh, sure. And then when they asked for, you know, what I was working on right then, I was working on a project and they liked it so much that they built uh, their show around that idea. So it was a group show that, you know, all the other people that they picked were picked to go with what, you know, my work was. Right. And so that, an artist space, uh, uh, one of the stalwarts of the alternative art scene in New York, mm -hmm. in Soho, and uh, probably 40 years old or so, going on, yeah. still going strong. That's a big deal to have a show in there. Oh, no, no, no. That was, the, that was just the, the, the files. The show was in Chelsea. But they, oh, they found it through mm -hmm. the artist. Yeah. So, but still, a legendary space with a wonderful service of a flat file yeah, and a registry, a an artist registry. To be in there, curators all over the world look through that and they find uh, spaces and get uh, find artists work and get ideas and then put that into any number of spaces around the yeah. world. Yeah, and the, I mean, the thing is, is like the cur the people that I worked with, they couldn't have been more encouraging. Yeah. Um, like everything about it was a wonderful experience. I mean, to, yeah, to get picked out of the flat files. Pretty good. That's what people hope for. Like that's crazy. Yeah. You know? And so it really isn't anything against that. It just was like, this doesn't work for me, you know? Um, because it wasn't as alive as certainly your current practice, I think, is. It just wasn't. Yeah. It just wasn't. And the idea that, 
you know, the project that, um, that the show was about was a friend of mine had died and the project was about how I thought I saw him everywhere. And, um, I think it was really important for me to do that project. And, um, a lot of people that saw the show really liked the show and I, I, um, and it was a way for me to honor him. And so I'm really, really glad that I did it. But then when the show was over, other galleries were interested in talking to me and it was like they wanted another heartbreaking body of work. And I was like, well, you know, there's kind of only one friend that I've known since I was 14 and now he's gone and I think it's see him. It's like, it's kind of right. like, I mean, maybe I can get back to you guys the next time something bad happens. <laughs> right. I mean, set up an alert. Yeah. You know, Tick but, right now, look. um, you know, so I stand by the project. I still think it's a really beautiful body of work, but it, you know, it did sort of leave me in this place of, well, no galleries want anything to do with me because I don't have a new heartbreak to give to them (laughs) you know nor nor am i foolish enough to try to manufacture one and um (laughs) an apt metaphor for i think working with (laughs) usually sometimes they provide the hearts break but um so uh what happened was i just kind of um I have this wonderful friend. I call her my manager, but she, I mean, she's just my best friend. And she's been, um, she's like an art critique in a box. I mean, I just can call her up with ideas and, you know, she's like a focus group. She tells me whether it's good or not. And um, she and I had a series of conversations and I really wish we would have recorded them. I really do because they changed everything um but we decided that no more asking for anything no more applying for anything no more waiting on someone else to give me to go ahead nothing nothing about anyone else anything and we decided that I was just going to upload photos to my website almost as an exercise for me right and that I would be evaluating my work and that I just needed to be making work regardless of whether it fit into anything that would be 20 cohesive slots, you know, no, just if something is interesting to me, do that, upload it to the website. Which I I think uh, has a lot of parallels with podcasting. It really does. (laughs) Honestly. Because that's how this show uh, got started. It was like, let me just, let me, I say it's the entertainment of last resort, but that sometimes when you don't have anywhere else to go, but you, you just put something out there and you have some responsibility because it has some public, even if no one's looking at it, it exists, you're putting it out there. And if you can stick to it and keep doing it, you'll only get better. Mm-hmm. And then when the time is right, you'll have the right attention to something that is uh, also then a mature project, a more mature project, and can be applied, and the voice is stronger, and it, it may have more, a longer a life. Well, that that's pretty much exactly what happened. We're because, in sync on well, this, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what happened, because all the infrastructure uh, for my website was in place. Like, I had gone through this fallow creative period, those and, are wonderful, aren't they? Yeah. 
<laughs> a lot of soup during those times. You know, it just um, just like I don't know, I don't know who I am now without a project. But I had gone through that. We had restructured the website into something that I could, you know, alter myself and upload pictures myself. And so all of that was in place when my best friend Carol asked me to come and photograph a comedy show at. Actually, the first show she asked me to photograph was at Siberia. Which is still going, and Siberia is no longer. Um, I don't know if Siberia is open anymore, <laughs> but it, it's like, it was like in Midtown or something. And, I'm um, sorry for not knowing, but that uh, predates my arrival in New York by a little, I think. Well, here's the thing is like during this archiving process of like the CDs and stuff, I was keeping my eyes out because I think the first show... It was in. It was sometime in 2006, but possibly 2005 because I hadn't gone digital yet, and it was on film. Mm-hmm. So the photos are most likely in some of those white boxes up there. Yes, and we still there have are to. Ma- many white boxes above where we're sitting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it, Aziz Ansari was on that show. Yeah. Um, and I believe that the lineup was Aziz, John Mulaney. Sean Crespo, and I believe that Carol um, either hosted or did a reading on that show. Um, Because I think probably 2004 or 5, sometime in there. I may have the timing wrong. I have to go back and look at my own archive. Captain Boxes. But I did, uh, uh, the two for the show was going over there at, uh, 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 I want to say, Mo Pitkin's House of Satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And Aziz was uh, often on that one. I did, Jesse Klein was on the night that I did it. Um, A couple other great people. And I met some people now at that show that have gone on to do that. I mean, that's the thing. If you stay in one place long enough, you get it's to really see some people, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so, but you got to see some of those uh, places rise and some of them fall. But it must be fascinating. Okay, we'll we'll come back. To, I want to come back to that a little bit because one of the things that you're saying though is that somebody called and asked you to do something and you said yes, mm-hmm. which is also something that I uh, have have followed. I've said for a while, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to pursue things or pay entrance fees to get in places. Mm-hmm. I'm, but if somebody calls me and they want me to come and audition, they want me to come and be in their film, music video, mm-hmm. I'll do it. Last night, I was uh, shirtless, lying on a stool, and a fellow was eating a bagel off my chest. Dale? Because I said yes. Are you sure that was a comedy <laughs> show? He said it was for a video, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm worried about you a little, but know. that's good. But that's good. That's good. <laughs> well, you know that um, the series of conversations with my friend Carrie, like um, that was the thing. Is uh, right around that fallow creative period, I heard two cliches, um, and one was "Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated," and the other one was "The best party to go to is the one to which you're invited." Yeah, and I heard them. Like, just out of context, like, I don't even remember who said it, but, like, they just hit me. Clicked with you. The right way. And, you know, it doesn't mean like, that you don't make your work. Yeah. It just means that you stop asking for people to validate your work. 
Yeah. Those are really different things. Like, you know, is like, I, I've, you know, when I gave up on being understood, a lot of things really clicked. <laughs> right. You know, give up on being understood, give up on being appreciated, give up on being validated, give up on making any money at it. And then whatever you're left with, it's probably pretty fucking interesting. And, and there's probably a seed of confidence there that will only grow. If you're giving up on having external people tell you that it's... Yeah. You're, you're saying, no, it has worth, and therefore go forward. Yeah. The trick Which is, is that The trick is tough. that you give up on those things, but you continue to do the work. That's yeah. the, that's yeah, the part people skip sometimes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> And that's the that's the sort of uh, working classness of it, is that you just you get up and you go you go do it, mm-hmm. even if it's a little part of the day, you you devote your time to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. <laughs> but I like also what you said though, um, that that you kind of had to say okay, there's the there's the gallery artist path, but I'm gonna set that aside I know I can see that this is not going to give me the sense of fulfillment I'm not going to endlessly draw on an emotional reservoir nor do I necessarily have that for this purpose uh, and you find that with great creative people and I've talked to so many of them some have <laughs> sat right here not in your house but you know what I mean and uh, uh, so many of them started out as something completely different and you have great comedians that were accountants mm-hmm. uh, Bob Newhart you didn't start out to say, I'll be a comedian. Mm-hmm. You'd have to like even come to the fact that that's a possibility. Some great playwrights were painters. You, 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 what you're supposed to be. I started out as a painter. You see there? <laughs> you see there? That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. And, the, and, the, and you, what you do, you keep going as we're talking about. And because uh, somewhere, uh, something is, is just pushing us to be who, who we are and what we're meant to do. I don't know, you grow up in a religious household? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's still, still reli- religious? Um, well, my dad is a preacher. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So a lot of my life choices have not gone over well. <laughs> and that's in, in Alabama. <laughs> mm-hmm. Montgomery is where they... They are now in Montgomery. I grew up in Mobile, and then I went to high school um, in a small town outside of Birmingham. And that's where I met my best friend, Carol. What town was that? Uh, it's a very small town called Tarrant. Tarrant. Is it near York? I have no idea. All right. I know a little place down there. But, uh, uh, okay. But so he was, so you grew up in the church? I did. I did. And um, it's been, the early years of being an artist uh, were very um, difficult. Yeah, because that's going going against the the grain. What were you, what, what did it, why was it difficult? Well, I, I think that, you know, I've really come to understand it um, as concern and not um, disapproval. Mm-hmm. And it's taken a long time to understand it. But now that I'm a grown-up, you know, uh, when, I'm, when I meet young people that want to be artists, you know, I just want to give them a hug. Yeah. You know, because... It, and tell them to choose something else. Yeah. Like if there's any way. <laughs> any way. Financial planning. 
if there's any way you can do anything else, like, please do. You know, because, um, you know, I'm at a point of being an artist now where I'm in a very joyful phase of it. Um, because, like, whatever I feel or see in the moment is what comes out in the picture. But it has taken such a very, very, very long time to get to that place. And that is such a long road. And a lot and of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of self-doubt. It's a lot of um, just dissatisfaction. You know, and I, and now that I'm in a place where um, there's just like a muscle memory that kicks in and it just, it feels really, it's very fun and it's very enjoyable um, to make work right now. Um, and I, and I, I'm so grateful to, to have gotten to that place, but I mean, I started taking pictures in 1996. Yeah. What was your first camera? Pentax K1000. Oh, yeah. It's still here at this apartment. I, I haven't used I, it. Some of my early photography was on that, the Pentax. I haven't used it in forever, but I can't let it go. Oh, do you have a digital Pentax now? Uh, yeah. Now I have a Canon. Because they're uh, retro. Uh, <laughs> they, welcome back to camera talk. But the, the, the lenses, aren't they uh, uh, reverse compatible I don't on the know. Pentax? Oh, something to know. something to look into, so you can use all the old lenses on the on the digital I will body. I'll look into that. If I'm wrong, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look into that. Look it I up have first some, before yeah. you buy them. But um, and what, how did that come to you? How did it, how do you get it? Oh, now that is very funny. <laughs> Good. Um. Okay. So here's what here's what happened. I started out as a painter. And, you know, my whole, like, you know, childhood and, and teenage years and whatever, I just drew all the time. Mm -hmm. And I painted, and um, that was what was interesting to me. And then, like, my last two years of college, you know, I was in, like, the advanced painting classes and everything, but you had to have an elective. And so um, I did photo. But I did it because I was trying to be smart about it. And I was like, well, I'm going to need slides to get into graduate school. Yeah, better know how to take the slides. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, and it was also to like take pictures of my painting in process so that I could better understand like, you know, what was working and what wasn't. And so um, at that time, you know, it was, there wasn't, there's not like rental places in Alabama for cameras. So I bought a used camera from a guy named Ron Bowen, um, who was, he got his business card, you know, from like the professor. And it was like, this guy usually has cameras and he was the guy and he was the guy. And my friend Lyle went with me and we like got a used camera. I don't even remember how much it was. I know I got in trouble for buying it. What kind of place did Ron have? It was out of the trunk of his car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out of the trunk of his car. Somewhere in Birmingham. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. he, he could... A used Pentax K1000. Probably come to you. It didn't Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, what's interesting 
is that the very first role of film I shot, like the very first role, is friends um, and me trying to situate my friends in the context of where we were living. The very first role. And you knew. You I, knew. And, and what's funny is that the professor, you know, was like, well, all college kids, you know, take photos of their friends. And, and you know, I mean, it was just so, like, um, there's, no, there's no value in yeah. this. There's no... That sounds, he sounds like a supportive person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that's, that's the book that you showed me. Mm-hmm. With that. But, and I would tell you, I mean, it's clear, this book, that, that the, the, your eyes, your, your voice is already present in there. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's there. A, it's there. You can see it from the, there's, there's certainly an evolution of that time and maybe technique or something is different, but you would know these are yours. Yeah. That's... Which is, which is uh, remarkable, I think, for somebody just picking up the camera, being able to have their artistic voice be that present in this sort of foreign uh, mode, medium. That uh, yeah, it was it was immediate. Yeah. It was immediate, and and um and I have described it, you know, as like drugs, um, <laughs> before because the the other thing that was happening the moment that I got the camera was that I had just realized I had not come to terms with, but I had just realized that I really was actually an artist like I wasn't a college kid getting an art degree that I like re I like really was one and that was horrifying to me <laughs> yep like I had I had really been playing the whole like well you know you can make your art and be like a teacher right I had been playing that game yes. with myself yep. that like I just wanted to get better at art and I, you know, and I could be a teacher and I could still have like a normal life and I would still live in Alabama and I would still, you know, paint on the weekends. And, and I, I had really gone through most of college telling myself and reassuring myself that, that, that would, that I would be okay that way. You would have some practical plan to match with this yes. that would prevent you from being an artist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I very much wanted yep. it to not be the case. Right. I, I am the same way. That's why I'm laughing in, in uh, recognition. Because when I uh, started, of course, I didn't know I was going to be a famous podcaster such as I am. And I went to school, of course, for mold making and just, you know, bouncing around out there <laughs> in the Allegheny Mountains. But um, at some time, I did start to hone in on the fact that I'd like to pursue some of these art art things, but I didn't want to. I said, "Well, I'm not going to move to New York because then you have to spend all your time doing something else just to survive." And uh, uh, but but also I I don't want to have to to be an artist in any kind. You have to have that. You know, you have to have it. Well, you can as you're saying. There's some practical application. Perhaps you go into animation because that's a lucrative place for some if you go into commercial things and you can do the voices and also draw like that's some of the thinking that probably young people similar to myself uh, would have gone through 
But then, and I, I had a similar moment where I had to fill out something and I put comedian. <laughs> I, I never considered myself that, but if you're in a comedy festival, you better, they don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't want a paper stock provider. They, they want to have the, so it's a wonderful place to be where you do feel confident enough in your skills and in your craft to, to, yeah. to just brush it off and say, I'm a, there you go. I'm an artist. What of it? Keep going. Yeah. But that, the, the, the summer that I got the camera, though. Yeah. The realization. Yes. Like, I wasn't even, I wasn't even in a place where I could say that out loud to anyone. Yeah. That, like, that, like, I understood that there was a distinction and I understood which one I was. And I also knew that it meant that I was going to have to leave Alabama. That was the summer that that hit me. Because there was no path there for you to do that. There was nothing for me there. And um, and I was, um, I, I, I just was, I was a mess. I was really a mess. And, you know, the place where I went to school is just, it's a very special place. And... I was so sad that I was going to end up so far away from it. Yeah. And I, I really did not have a way to process that. And so what happened was the camera came into my life for just a completely different reason. But as soon as I had it, like literally the day that I got it, you know, and I started taking pictures of like my friends just in their dorm rooms or just out on the college lawn or whatever. As soon as I did that, I got so much lighter and calmer. And I began to experience what I still to this day experience when I walk into a place to photograph a show. I would experience this thing where when I would see my friends, like let's say I went over to my friend Danny's house, right? I would get there and I would be anxious until I took a photo of Danny in his house. Uh-huh. Yeah. Danny in his kitchen, Danny situated in some type of way where I can tell that it's Danny and I can tell that, oh, we're in the house that had that painting, right? So the painting's in it, Danny's in it, I can tell he's there. And then if I would take that picture, then I was fine. And if like other friends stopped and came over, the, the meter was already set for like the right exposure and then I could just, you know... <laughs> click click oh they came over too and it was fine and I wasn't thinking about and I'm gonna leave and I wasn't thinking about you know will this be the last picture I take of that I wasn't thinking about that I was I was completely able to exist in the present and it and it really was it was like taking an antidepressant basically you know like it'll be okay. I got the picture. It'll, it'll be okay. And so the, my last two years in Alabama, um, I just photographed everything as much as people would let me photograph it. It, But of course now I understand what that was, but at the time, um, I, I don't, I think I maybe understood like a 10th of it of like what was motivating that work, mm-hmm. you know? But like now I can look at all of those pictures together 
and it, it's so it's like so obvious <laughs> but it's also hilarious to me because they're very innocent pictures and they also so clearly have a style and yet I got in trouble for taking those pictures mm -hmm. like the professors thought that I was wasting time but what was the and what, that's what? just it just kills me I'm like I'm like the one thing that I did in college that was the line to follow that's, that's uh, and that like was a, a failure of education in that uh, in that regard. In that regard, yeah. But uh, what you said you you discovered what the motivation though was 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 what? I think that feeling like I had documented the community, like that era of work, <clears throat> was about getting the truest picture of that person in that context of where they were that year. And if I felt like I had gotten that picture and that I had somehow made this document that was about everybody. So it's not just about like the guy I dated that year. It's about all of us together and how that was a special time. But that's because there was there a history of loss or uh, things drifting away beyond your control as a young person? I think I was experiencing that loss, like, I think as soon as I figured out that I was leaving. Oh, I you knew it was going to go away. I started experiencing the loss while I was still there uh -huh. because I understood, I understood what it meant. Like, if I accepted that, like, oh, no, I'm actually really an artist and I am going to go away. And if I accepted that, then that meant that there was, there was now a clock ticking. Right. Of like, this doesn't naturally morph into an adult life. I abruptly end this, most likely on this date because I move. Right. 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 And that's so, so much. So that more world final. had a closing moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I was the one who knew about it the longest. Right. 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 And then you go to Connecticut for, for graduate school? Mm-hmm. How did that, how was the transition from uh, Alabama to Connecticut? I think that's a Mark Twain story. <laughs> it was very <laughs> traumatic. It was very traumatic. The first um, couple of months that I was there, I really tried to hide my accent. You tried um, to put on a Connecticut accent? I just, I tried. <laughs> I was just so, I was so paranoid that they were going to treat me like I was stupid. Right. You know, um, so I tried really, really hard to like not have an accent, but they treated me like I was stupid anyway. So I was like, "Fuck it." Full and on. Then I, yeah. Full on. I mean, we're gonna get it now. Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, all right." Anyway, I talk like this. Here's my painting. Well, it was a more supportive environment, though, right? By the time you got to graduate school. Um. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Um, I was stupid when I started graduate school. I was very, very naive. And I actually thought that graduate school was about getting better at being an artist. Mm. I didn't understand that graduate school was learning the business of art. Hmm. That's what it was there. I didn't I didn't understand that. I 
I really was just coming from a situation where I felt like I was beginning to get better at being an artist. And I, I was like, oh my God, are you telling me that I get my own studio for two years and all I have to think about is my work? Holy shit, sign me up. Oh, and I, you know, and I was just so excited. And um, I just wanted that time to just try things. And my very first critique, they were upset that there was a lack of cohesion in my work. Like, that was one of the notes from, like, my first critique. And so it was like, oh, so you, you want the packet of 20 slides. <laughs> oh, no. That's depressing. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to that point again. Like, almost immediately. Yeah. Like. We got we to gotta get this into some kind of package. Yeah. yeah, and it was, you know, and I just, I just wanted, like, I, I was just curious, like, what would happen, you know, if this background in painting and, you know, these, this interest in photography, like, what would happen if that was left to simmer for a year? Yep. You know? But we'll never find out. <laughs> Alas. But you're doing okay. Yeah, it did all right. Like it's, it's all I did right. all right. All but of once, these little things have made it made it all right. Yeah, but once I realized, you know, um, what it was about, I was like, okay, that's fine. And um, and then I ended up doing a project that I really loved. And I had a professor there, who I had actually I told the idea as a joke, to some. I don't know, classmates of mine, colleagues of mine, just like over like French fries and burgers. I was like, I was like, I have this idea. It's totally stupid. And then one of the professors um, heard about it and he was like, I'll, I'll be your major advisor if you do that project. <laughs> and what was it? Um, well, I'm adopted. And so uh, something about being adopted is when you see someone that's like a momish age, and they look like you. Yeah. Oh, you, you that's a moment. Maybe that's. It's maybe like that's her. Well, you you don't know. Right. And so I had this idea of like what would happen if I like did all these different um, pictures of myself with families that I could possibly be a member of. And it would be kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure novel. Yeah. You know, like, what if I ended up super rich? What if I ended up super, super poor? What if I ended up, you know, with, like, totally beatnik, super cool parents? What if I ended up, you know? And so I did um, this project with all these... I think it ended up being something close to 70 different families. And me in family pictures with them. <laughs> But, but none of them turned out to be. You know, your birth DNA tests are still out. <laughs> well, and if, but do you, because up until that information, and I, maybe this is not no longer true, but you were an, adopted as an only child mm -hmm. and raised as an only child, but you don't know if you have siblings or... I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Because I was going to say, a lot of people always ask me, do you wish you had siblings? And I always <laughs> say, no, forget it. <laughs> no, thanks. <gasps> But yeah. I don't know. You might feel differently. Oh, no. My, my parents love to tell the story of when I was like six. They started talking to me about, would you like for us to adopt a brother for you? And me screaming. No, no. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All the toys are mine. That's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I, I was always um, 
and I was never afraid of being lonely, but I, I did have a, a fear of uh, being alone, which is uh, why I started this show. <laughs> no, <laughs> on some level, probably, but uh, I think it is. It is. Um, it's. Uh, I still prefer it. I still think because I feel like it's it's mine, and then mm-hmm. I'll uh, uh, it being that, that like my this is my. Uh, stuff that I'm putting out in the world, the change is mine. I can own it, mm-hmm. whatever happens out there. But it's, uh, I, I, it does seem like there could be. I don't know. This I don't know what I'm talking about. But this sense that there's like a thing that closes and then goes away in terms of how you document things. Like here is a, here is a family that I establish. Mm-hmm. I document it. I might have to go away from them. Mm-hmm. And now you've kind of documented this extended comedy family mm-hmm. I mean I feel the same way in a sense that there's a uh, that I'm, I've always surrounded myself by big collaborations mm-hmm. or big uh, theatrical things or you know you do the shows and all that kind of stuff and, uh, even before I was uh, married that, that kind of thing of just you know let's get the gang together and put on a big a big show <laughs> and that was uh, kind of a, it became a family I never like I said it was okay to not I wasn't wanting for somebody to be around all the time, mm-hmm. but it was nice to not be alone mm-hmm. in the pursuit of things. Oh, yeah. I definitely uh, think of, I mean, I know I thought of um, the people from the first book uh, as my family, and some of them still are. Um, and I mean, I kind of think the best art usually comes from. You know, I think that's what being an artist is kind of about, is sort of finding your art family. And I think when you look at, like, the best eras of painting and the best eras of music and, and the best eras of, of comedy, you know, it's people bouncing ideas off of one another in a safe way, um, in, a, in, like, a safe and supportive way. And that, that work is your own but you're also not completely independent of the, for lack of a better term, the soup that you came from. You right. know what I mean? Because, like, it's all, like, that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in documenting not just the people that industry is paying attention to right now. Because, you know, even the people that are just in the audience at an open mic, right? Those people are still contributing to the community, because they're still giving you um, a sign of, like, that's funny. It's not funny. It's like doing a critique. Right. You know? They do become a peer review of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all of that is important to eventually get to the level, you know, where you're on a subway sign or whatever. Right. You know? Like, all all of those components are necessary to build that up. So, I do... I do um, but, you know, the other thing is my dad being a preacher, um, you know, there's some some things about church that are awful, but there's also some things about growing up with, uh, we call it like your church family, mm-hmm. you know, um, that I think, uh, you know, you don't fall too far from where your family started you out, you know, yeah. and I think that um, what's so funny is like my dad is like uh, what's with all these comedians and, but I think the structure of it 
is very much like the structure of the church. Like I tend to see them once a week. It tends to be surrounding your performance. Like (laughs) there's milk and cookies after, except it's beer. Um, (laughs) All trying to get at some kind of universal truth. (laughs) Through laughter, (laughs) evoking a response and or devotion. (laughs) I can go down that path as far as you want. It kind of works. It kind of works. works. Yeah. Most... A lot of them are atheists, but that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. But, um, well, and and how does it feel uh, then to be the person doing this? Because it's not like it's you and 17 other people out there documenting this, the the comedy. Because to be clear, over the six, seven years, maybe longer, maybe it's 10 or 12, but uh, you have been going to the shows, documenting, Comedians of all walks and uh, some that you'll never hear of again, as is the way things go, and some that you are blockbuster stars that are all over everything. And uh, uh, but but nobody has this kind of span out there. It's really it's you. How does that feel to be to, to be the eye on the comedy scene? Um. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it's true. Um. There's nobody else. Well. Just because of the what's been going on this last couple of weeks with like putting together the archive, you know, right now, just in a very practical way, it's a lot of pressure um, because this is the boring component to the answer to that question. <laughs> but there's actually, there's a lot of uh, work involved with the actual archive. And part of that is assembling the, the book and website, and it, it's also an exhibition component. Right. So, for instance, I'm getting started on Year in Comedy this year. what it's called, Year in Comedy, and then whatever year it is. Yeah. yeah. So this is going to be the third year that we're doing Year in Comedy, um, and that's opening August 23rd. So, you know, I'll be really, like, getting the show together for a lot of the summer, but then there's also the issue of um, there's work that I was too poor at the time that I shot the pictures to be able to afford to get them printed. So there are negatives floating around here at the apartment that have never been scanned in from the earliest days. Um, That needs to be done. There's work from 2000, there's a really vulnerable part of the work from 2006 and 2007 that's never been entered um, anywhere high res. Like there's only low res copies of it because websites weren't uploading high res at the time. And so last, um, when we had Hurricane Sandy, that was the moment when it hit me like, oh my God, if water damage happens to my apartment, the history of New York comedy, there's like a three-year period that's not backed up online and it's gone. And like right now, maybe nobody would care, but yeah, there's people that, like the whole trajectory of their career is like covered by that work. And and so right now, um, I am trying to get things together for year in comedy this year and then also make sure that 
the archive is uh, backed up with high-res stuff, which is a much longer process than you would think. Sure. So right. So I artistically the yes. fun the fun part of that answer is that it's been very rewarding. I have very selfishly gotten a lot out of it in that it's not just an archive of everyone's career. Um, it's also me learning to be a better photographer. And sure. it's um, and it's really kind of fun to watch all of us grow up together. Yeah. Um, and so it's a... Uh, it's been a, I, it wasn't a thing I expected to be doing, but now that we're where we're at in the archive, it, it, um, is very rewarding and I can see like storylines emerging and, uh, I kind of feel like my job right now is to just stay the course, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't know how long I do this and I don't know what exactly happens with all the pictures yeah, it ought to be like yeah. the the Museum of the City of New York or something. Should, uh, <laughs> or what's the what's the other one of the historical society or something? Or should, something I don't should know. Should be taking all of these and taking care of it for you <laughs> with interns and all that. Seriously, there should be somebody that's invested in New York City culture that would be interested in taking the archive, and, and you you be remaining involved with it. But they do this kind of grunt work of finding. <laughs> high-res versions of something from 12 years ago in a zip disk. Yeah. that's, um, (laughs) you know, that's... um, It's a lot. (laughs) And are you heralded as a a great uh, hero when you return to Alabama because you're you're the one? Um, mm. Do they get it at least that you're doing something? Here's the thing. You said it's more than that. It was... More about concern or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the... um, My parents, just the last time that I spoke with them on the phone last week, um, my dad yelled into the speakerphone, I don't care. Move home, Mindy. (laughs) They miss you. That's the the key takeaway. (laughs) And... um, You ever document them? I do. Yeah. And... um, you know, the thing is, is like, I really have to give them so much credit because at the start of me being an artist, at the very start of it, they could not conceive of New York, uh, an art career. Um, it was very fraught with anxiety and worry and concern. And uh, from time to time, they were, you know, kind of rude about things. But now, we have, it's like we have worked on it. And they do, um, they do understand that it's important to me. Mm-hmm. And so, they're respectful with that. It's only in the last year um, I think mom saw Mulaney on TV. <laughs> yeah. 
And um, you gotta send him a note. <laughs> that was actually like kind of a helpful moment because there's a Mulaney headshot I did in like oh, I don't remember if it was oh six or oh seven, but he's like scratching his head or yeah, some, yeah. you know. I, I think I've seen it. Yeah. And for whatever reason, my mom really liked that picture. She just liked the picture. Sure. She just thought it was a cute picture. Good-looking fella. Good li- she liked the picture Very for some Very clean reason. cut. In a suit, I think. And so, <laughs> and so, there was something about she, on her own in Alabama, passed by some channel, and she recognized him as the person from the picture, and she was like, oh, people that Mindy knows are on the television. <laughs> <laughs> And but that Lot, was lots of people. Yeah, but, <laughs> because they're on the television. <laughs> well, that's kind. Of, I mean, but you know, yeah. I, I guess because that was one of the early ones, or like for whatever reason that connected. And yeah. and uh, uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's he's a very kind person. Uh, but I get you know I. But I once it clicked for me that it wasn't about. Uh, meanness that it was about concern um I really got it I really got it so I think for where they started from I think they're the most supportive understanding working the hardest to try to understand what their child is doing people and that I should never ever complain well but I could be saying that because they sent me an Easter basket and I got it today at work (laughs) Well, I hope you are. I hope that was good, can- <laughs> good candies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good. I shared them. That's all right. That, that's fine. <laughs> Listen, that's that's farther along than many people are with their parents. So, <laughs> um, well, okay. We'll go into a little bit of a lightning round. Then we'll talk about the, what's happened over this time that you've been documenting them. Because I do have a theory that it takes most people about six years to really like break through in any like meaningful way. Some do it earlier, mm-hmm. and some some are. Uh, uh, luckier or something that way but uh, generally for something to reach a kind of point that it's getting recognition six to seven is best yeah it seems like some people get it at four but they tend to not do well when they get it at four there you go this that's you tend to pay you tend to pay for coming out early that's right better to be fully formed i think yeah (laughs) or at least you're gonna pay for that you're gonna pay for it when you're not ready yep Yep. So, uh, what would you say? Some of the typical things that that are that have happened, a, a typical, uh, just talking about comedy, mm-hmm. um, maybe a, a, a kind or a brand of comedy that you've seen as a thread move up on the chart there. Um. Well, you wanted this to be a lightning round. <laughs> I've asked the wrong person. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm Southern, so my stories get long. Um, <laughs> because for up to this point, there was what? The kind of like alt comedy, uh, the start of UCB, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff coming out. And then uh, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get is like, what has, what has been this little spike over the last few years here well, that you see because you go to so many shows? Well, the big thing that I've seen that I'm starting to see us come out of and I'm very excited to see it um but here's what happened when I started 
shooting comedy, the reason that I gravitated towards it is that it was weird. Yeah. It was weird. <laughs> you know, you would go to shows at, I remember going to one of Carol's shows at Siberia, and this would have been, once again, this is before I went digital, so it has to be before February 2006. There was a show, and like I'm pretty sure either Aziz or Mulaney was on it, but also Langhorn Slim was on it, and he did an acoustic set, and it was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And it was him with a guitar, you know, stomping around. Um, but also there was comedy, you know, and um, shows at Rafifi uh, that I went to. Uh, I would have talks with, like, Matt McCarthy and Baron Vaughn, um, and I would have talks with them after the show that were the kind of talks that I used to have with my art community in Montebello, like asking the right kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Like, was it innovative? Was it like, when people are asking questions of like, how will it play in middle America? You're not asking the right question. Mm -hmm. If you're the artist, if you're the business person, that's a perfectly fine question. But if or you, that, the, if that's what your goals are. Or... Yeah. But if you, the artist after the show right. at like, one in the morning are thinking about how it's playing in middle America, you may have drifted off course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, the right questions are more about, you know, anyway, the, the, the tone of the conversations, those were the kinds of things I wanted to be talking about. And I wanted to, anyway, it was just a very take chances room. You Take more chances. Of that when you started. Be innovative. You may bomb. There's a really good chance you're going to bomb. Mm -hmm. But try the new stuff. And it was all about try the new stuff. And then what happened is that a couple of people got, you know, commercial gigs. And then a couple of people got late night sets. You know, things that were bigger than live at Gotham or whatever. And then you started seeing. Um, the era of the flip cam where everyone was taping their sets and you started hearing the murmurs in the back of the room about getting together the tight five. Um, and so the shows became less about using it as an experiment lab and more about uh, running that tight five as many times as you could before the audition. And... You know, the thing is, is I want everyone to succeed. I want to randomly turn on my TV and see my friends. I want everyone to have money. I want people to be able to buy homes. I want people to, to be able to have families and have kids. Like, I want you to have money. I want it for you. <laughs> and you have a sense of pride, too, yeah. when they do make it. I want, I want that, and I want to help you get that. But... It, there was just a glut of tune it up for TV. Mm -hmm. Which also meant clean it up for TV? Clean it up for TV, but also uh, I feel like we went through a time of um, less experimentation. Mm -hmm. And now I'm kind of starting to see, 
you know, I was just at um, a show a couple of Fridays ago. My friend Jim Van Blaircombe and Jim Kirkamo, they did their last crappy cinema council. And there were several people on that show that, you know, were just doing things that were interesting. You know, Jake Young was doing a bit throwing Lorna Dunes out in the audience, you know. And then Robert Dean did, uh, have you seen his dancing shoes video no, no. it's ridiculous i get that song <laughs> stuck in my head like i guess that was like two weeks ago i get that song stuck in my head like every day and it's stupid it is so stupid and glorious and brilliant and it's great it's also really seriously it's dumb but <laughs> just sometimes it's, that's it just google dancing shoes as in ted dancing <laughs> Well, and I, Robert I, Dean. That Tignataro pushing that stool across the stage on Conan was one of the best things I've ever seen. Oh, my God. Wasn't it? <laughs> it just went on and on. It so really, good. it was like that was performance art from the 70s. I mean, yes. it was like, it was there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm starting, I'm seeing right now, I'm seeing, you know, and that was just one show. That's just like the show like that, that's of many, top of mind yes. that, you know... Um, and I'm not saying, you know, don't have a good career on TV, but I'm saying it's exciting to me when I walk into a show and I see something that's, you know, someone just trying something. Right. You know, you also need to know how to have a beautifully constructed, elegant, you know, late night set. Um, that's important. And, you know, I'm not going to look down on you for that I'm gonna help you with that you know and uh, that's great <clears throat> but I, I sort of feel like I'm seeing taking chances I'm seeing some people taking chances I'm seeing some people asking the questions about innovation um, instead of trying to mimic you know something that worked for someone else and so that's exciting it is exciting and uh, you see any uh, live podcasts that work Really, you feel like they really? Because they can be deadly, can't they? Um, <laughs> it's difficult. I mean, it's tough to do. You know, um, Julie Klausner's live podcasts are always a delight. Really um, high energy. I feel like that's a high energy show. Yeah. Um, and then I mean. For real, I thought that yours was very interesting and worked because you did short interviews. Yep. That's, like this one. That's great. <laughs> Get right to it. You did you did short interviews. You have someone on stage doing music. That's yep. actually helpful. Um, I'll tell them. <laughs> you know, but the si- but this quote. but this size actually helps. It is actually. <laughs> <laughs> it that. is. Helpful. The actually helpful band. <laughs> um, I just saw Keith and the Girl. Um, oh, yes. They, I mean, I, I don't guess you'd call it, I don't, I guess, I guess it's not a live podcast in the sense that there was an audience, but I was around for their marathon. Right, right. Um, and they, they do that so well. They do that so beautifully. Yeah. Uh, where they've got just like a stream of people coming in. That's and like it, real radio. Yeah, I mean, it really, being there that day, that really just felt like you're among a family of artists. Yeah. You know, it was so fun. But yeah, I don't, I don't guess that's like a, a live 
podcast. Uh, but yeah, there's also Thrilling Adventure Hour. Sure, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. those guys are so great. Well, PFT. Right? All of Tommy's. <sighs> Work too. But that was fun to see live. Yeah. Yeah. That was really exciting. I to met see. those fellows a bunch of years ago in, in Los Angeles. Acker yeah. and Blacker, right there in Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great guys, wonderful people. We wish all of the podcasting family well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel better about my chances now with that, so I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I just, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. <laughs> and this was lovely. Oh, this was a this delight. Was, I feel like we re- it was a delight. I thought you said it was a lie. <laughs> no, it was a delight. It was a delight. It was, and um, I really I appreciate all of the time that you've taken and the the insights that we've we've uncovered and <laughs> given out there to the young people. They write me all the time, and they want to know how they can do things. I'm usually very discouraging, but I hope that this will be. <laughs> no, I tease. It's. I think the world of you, and I really appreciate it. So thank you, Mindy. Thank you. And I, I hope that we'll see you again soon. We've got another live show, by the way, coming up May 14th at 8 p.m. at the Pit, and my guests will be Dave Hill, Julia Rossi, Laura Prangley, and DJ Recca. It's going to be quite a show. You know those folks. I do. You've taken pictures of almost all of them, probably. Of, yes, I have. <laughs> Maybe not DJ Rekka. I did. I don't know. Oh, well, basement of Bangra. That's what we're going to be talking about. Oh, good. Wait, anything that happens in a basement, I'm on it. Uh, <laughs> so come on out for that. Tickets just going fast. So get in on that. Uh, Till next time, I'll be burning some sage in an empty whiskey bottle in hopes that the body they found in the Gowans today doesn't start haunting people like me who made snarky, perhaps insincere tweets on the subject. Now let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy. Dale Radio is written and produced by James Bewley. Musical director, Steve O'Reilly. Season 6 theme song composed and performed by Katie Mullins. Season 6 podcast icon designed by Sunil Manchikanti. Logo treatment for Dale Radio is provided by Daniel Spencer Levine. You can listen to us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Please remember to rate and review us, follow us on Twitter, or find us on Facebook. Many thanks. You're the best.